here. Did you find Judges 18? In the previous chapter, we met a man named Micah uh, who had a house of idols. And uh, he and his mother had a conversation at the beginning of that chapter. Uh, she, had had a, she had had a theft. Somebody stole 1,100 shekels of silver. That was a small fortune. Uh, she had pronounced some type of a curse upon whoever did that. Turns out it was her own son, Micah, that stole from his mom. And uh, so he restored the money to her. She never scolded him. She said, blessed be thou of the Lord. Uh, she said, I've wholly dedicated that money to the Lord so that we could build some idols out of them. Uh, what a contradiction in terms. But remember, everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes. Um, and uh, so uh, she gave her, her son Micah the money back um, and uh, only used about 200 shekels of it and, and made this idol and so forth. We also learned that a young man from Bethlehem, Judah, the future birthplace of, of uh, David uh, and of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, uh, was a, he was a Levite. And uh, he was wandering around looking for a place to serve. And uh, he happened to come upon this man Micah's house. And uh, Micah had his sons, you know, you know working the, the idol business and, and so forth. And he thought, boy, if I have a Levite to be my priest, uh, I'll have this, the, the stamp of Jehovah and his approval on all of this. So he offered to pay this young man and uh, the Levite in verse 11 of chapter 17 was content to dwell with the, the man and the young man was unto him as one of his sons. Micah consecrated the Levite. The young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, now know I that the Lord will do me good seeing I have a Levite to my priest. So he's an idolater. He's got an entire house filled with them. He has made two new ones, uh, a golden one, and then he has teraphim. Those are, those are uh, clay figurines, that type of thing. Uh, he's, he's a rampant idolater, but he thinks because he's got a Levite, he's now got his spiritual rabbit's foot, and uh, he's got good luck going to shine upon him and so forth. And God included this in here. There's no mention of a judge or who might have been a judge before or after this. Uh, God's included this uh, in the book of Judges just to help us understand the mindset of people. Uh, they, had a, they had scriptures. Uh, they had at least Genesis through Deuteronomy. They may probably had the book of Joshua. Uh, if nothing else, Joshua was still recent history for them. But they had the written word of God that told them right from wrong, especially when it came to this matter of idolatry. But when we try to do what is right in our own eyes, we relegate our own thoughts to the same level as scripture and we always end up a mess. We started chapter 18 uh, last week and the tribe of Dan is uh, seeking out a place to settle. They've, they've not... Um, they, they've not uh, inherited all of the land that was given to them. Verse 2, this, uh, this tribe, the children of Dan, sent of their family five men from their coast, men of valor, from Zorah and from Eshtol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, go search the land, who when they came to Mount Ephraim, to house of Micah, they lodged there. 
So these men are spying out a land, a place for them to, the, the tribe of Dan to settle into. They happened upon the house of Micah, and it just somehow they knew this young Levite. It says in verse 3, when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite. They turned in thither and said unto him, who brought thee hither? And what makest thou in this place, and what hast thou here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. So he's pretty excited about his position. He's telling them all about it. They said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray thee of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace, before the Lord is your way wherein ye go. Um, do you see this young man praying anywhere? No. He is a preacher for hire. Um, he, is, he is there to tell people just exactly what they want to hear um, and so forth. And they, they want a message of peace. And he tells them a message of peace. Uh, you know, just go your way. Uh, God's, God's going before you. Everything's going to be great. By the way, you don't have a preacher for hire here. Uh, and you don't want one. Uh, that, that's the last thing you want. You want somebody that's going to open the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord, uh, whether that's comfortable to us or not. Uh, we need to know what the Bible says. Uh, so uh, the five men departed. We read this in, in verse 7 last week. Uh, they came to Laish, which was a, an isolated town. They saw the people that were therein, how they dwelt careless, after the manner of the Zidonians, quiet and secure, there was no magistrate in the land that might put them to shame in anything, and they were far from the Zidonians and had no business with any man. Zidon was the territory north of the nation of Israel. Today, that is the country of Lebanon. Zidon would have been where later on Jezebel uh, hailed from. Um, and this city of Laish was sort of a Zidonian outpost or, if you will, maybe a colony. Um, it was very, very far from their homeland. Uh, these people dwelt there. There was no city wall around them. Um, and uh, the, the, the people from Dan, they see this place and it's, it's easy pickings for them. Uh, they're, they're not, they're not going to go into the mountains. They're not going to go into a rough place. They're just looking for the easiest place uh, possible. Um, verse 8 is where we, we left off last week. They came unto their brethren, to Zorah and Eshtol, and their brethren said unto them, What say ye? They said, Arise that we may go up against them. For we have seen the land. Behold, it is very good. And are ye still? Be not slothful to go and to enter to possess the land. Now, their words are not bad words. Uh, they are echoing the words Joshua uh, ended his ministry with. You need to go in and possess the land which the Lord's already given you. And these spies have come back with a favorable view. And they're encouraging the rest of the tribe of Dan to go and take their possession. They describe what they found in verse 10. When you go, ye shall come, into a, come unto a people secure and to a large land, for God hath given it into your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. They seem like they're speaking from a place of faith, don't they? God's given it to you. Uh, by the way, God had already told them that. Keep your place here and go all the way back to Judges 
chapter, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one. Verse one. Joshua one, verse one. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. These are God's opening words to Joshua. Uh, even before they began the conquest of Canaan, they have that clear promise. Going back to Judges 18, these five spies uh, are echoing very much the same sentiment. Um, again, verse 10, God hath given it into your hands, a place where there is no want of anything that is in the earth. Um, this seems to be, uh, speaking well for the, the people of Dan at this point. Uh, but, but sadly, you're going to find out their faith was a very shallow faith. Um, follow on, verse 11. There went out from thence of the family of the Danites, out of Zorah and out of Eshtol, 600 men appointed with weapons of war. Remember, this is a quiet area. There's no, there's no magistrates. There's no wall to overcome. Uh, this to them is going to be an easy victory. Uh, so they only send 600 men. They went up and pitched in Kirjath-Jerim in Judah. Wherefore, the, they called that place Mahan-Adan, I think. Unto this day, behold, it is behind uh, Kirjath-Jerim. They're in the northernmost part uh, of the border of Judah. They passed thence unto Mount Ephraim and came unto the house of Micah. So they're making this journey to this place called Laish, and uh, these 600 men got directions from the spies. Uh, and Micah's house is on the way. Then answered the five men that went to spy out the country of Laish, and said unto their brethren, Do you know that there is in these houses an ephod and teraphim and a graven image and a molten image? Now therefore consider what ye have to do. So uh, they're describing what's in the house of Micah. Again, notice what, what they say. There is an ephod. Remember, that is a, a, a very ornate robe that a priest would wear. There are teraphim, that is, that's uh, terracotta or clay uh, images. There's a graven image, a molten image. And uh, the five spies said, consider what you have to do. What should they have done? Anybody? Get rid of the idols. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
uh, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Uh, again, going back to the instructions from both Moses and Joshua, uh, they were supposed to utterly destroy uh, the, the Canaanites, their gods, their images, everything about it, uh, and so forth. So the answer to their question should have been, we need to go and, and rip this place apart. They're defiling the land of Israel and so forth. Verse 15, they turned thitherward and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even unto the house of Micah and saluted him. And the 600 men appointed with their weapons of war, which were of the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went out to, that went to spy out the land went up, came in thither, and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood in the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. So, so far they're not doing anything wrong. It almost looks like maybe they're going to do the right thing. These went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image, the ephod, the teraphim, the molten image. Then said the priest unto them, what do you? What are you doing? That's his livelihood. Um, he's a Levite. He's of the tribe of Aaron, the tribe selected by God to be priest of the Most High God. He is now serving in this house of idols, and he wants to know, what are you guys doing here? And they said unto him, hold thy peace. Lay thine hand upon thy mouth and go with us and be to us a father and a priest. It is better for thee to be a priest under the house of one man. I'm sorry, is it better for thee to be a priest under the house of one man or that thou be a priest unto a tribe and a family of Israel? And the priest's heart was glad and he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven image and went in the midst of the people. They had no intention of destroying the house of idols or any of the idols therein. They stole them. They confiscated them along with this young man. Said, why, why should you just be a, a priest here to this one guy and, and his family when you can become the priest to an entire tribe of the nation of Israel? And of course, he's a preacher for hire. Uh, if Mike is going to pay him so much, surely the entire tribe is going to pay him a whole lot more. And uh, so he goes and they take all the idols and so forth with him. They turned and departed, put the little ones and the cattle and the carriage before them. So they just take it all. The Levite's family goes and... Uh, you know, it's like uh, Dorothy and, and the, the, the Tin Man and all of them. They're on their way to Oz thinking they're just fine. But in their mind, they think they're still serving God. Are they? No, on one hand, it, it, it looked like in verse numbers 9 and 10 that they were claiming the command and promises of God. But at the same time, they're ignoring the commandments of God. We like God's promises, don't we? Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will help thee. I will strengthen thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. We like promises like that, right? And we know that all things work together for good. We like that, correct? But you understand that that, that is a conditional promise? All things work together for good to whom? To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So I can't, I can't say, I'm going to go out and do my own thing because I'm saved and I've got a promise. God, uh, all things are going to work together for good. That's not how, that's not how the Bible works. Uh, we live in a culture today where, 
We want enough God to make us look spiritual or religious, but not enough God to make us um, um, submissive, submissive to his will, obedient to what God says. We want the promises, but we don't want the commandments that go along with that. And the, the men of Dan, that's exactly what they've shown themselves to be. And, and of course, the Levite, he's right there with them. They don't have any voice pointing them to the Bible. This Levite should have been that voice. The Levites were commanded to teach the Bible to the people of Israel everywhere that they were scattered throughout the nation. Uh, back in the book of Joshua, there were certain cities that were dedicated, given to the Levites to dwell in so they'd be there to teach the Bible. This young man's failing miserably. Um, when they were a good way from the house, verse 22. By the way, it says 1244 back there. So according to my, my watch, we, we've got about 10 more hours of Sunday school. Um, something like that. Uh, so... Just dig in for the long haul. When they were a good way from the house of Micah, the men that were in the houses near to Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. We don't know how large this crowd was. Undoubtedly, they were people that worshipped at Micah's house and agreed with him. We got a Levite. Uh, we've got our good luck charm, so we're all set. They cried unto the children of Dan and they turned their faces, this is the Danites, this 600-man army, and said unto Micah, What aileth thee that thou comest with such a company? What in the world's wrong with you? That you're coming with a, a bunch of uh, people like this, and, and we're armed with weapons of war. What on earth are you thinking? And he, that's Micah, said, Ye have taken away my gods, which I have made. And the priest Ye are gone away, and what have I more? I don't have anything left. And what is this that ye say unto me? What aileth thee? Uh, to him it was a no-brainer. You just stole my gods. Aren't you glad we have a God that cannot be stolen? He's, he's not, he's not uh, made with hands. Uh, he's bigger than all of that and uh, can't be stolen. In the days of the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, had a house of gods that was actually uh, a gigantic museum. It would have been comparable in size, according to what archaeologists tell us, uh, to uh, the New York Museum of Natural History. How many have ever been down there? Massive place. Nebuchadnezzar built such a place as that, and his practice was that every city and every nation that he overthrew he ransacked their temples and he brought out all of their, idol, uh, their idols. He brought out any vessels that were used. Sometimes he would have the altars from those various temples uh, transported from wherever it was back to Babylon and placed inside his museum. His belief was, uh, my God is better than your God because my God beat your God. Your God couldn't stand up to me, um, and so forth. And uh, so, you know, you know, as far as Micah is concerned, you just stole our gods. And, you know, now we are powerless. As far as the children of Dan go, we now have Jehovah, and we have all these other gods, and we're, we're sure to win a victory when we come to Laish. 
The children of Dan, verse 25, said unto him, let not thy voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon thee and thou lose thy life with the lives of thy household. And the children of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back unto his house. So uh, Micah was defenseless. It, It wasn't really their logic that won. It was their weapons that won the day. I wonder what he thought. You know, I, I thought I was safe. I had all of these, these teraphim. I, I, I had a Levite to my priest. And uh, now what do I have? Um, and everything that he put his trust in, he found out that it had no value for him whatsoever. Um, the, Micah goes back home and the children of Dan go on their way. They took the things which Micah had made and the priest which he had And came unto Laish, unto a people that were at quiet and secure. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and burnt the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Zidon. They were a Zidonian colony or settlement, but too far away uh, for them to even get word. And so they were defenseless. They had no business with any man. They were just a quiet people who kept to themselves and it was in the valley that lieth by Beth Rahab, and they built a city and dwelt therein. So they've burnt this city, um, and they've killed everybody with the edge of the sword. There's no survivors to go tell about it. They called the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their father, one of the sons of Jacob, who was born unto Israel, howbeit the name of that city was Laish at the first. So they've got their victory. They've got their city. They name it after themselves. The children of Dan set up the graven image. Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. This part of Israel went into captivity in 722 B.C. Uh, They were conquered by the Assyrians, an Assyrian king by the name of Sennacherib. Uh, decimated the land. Uh, it is, it is uh, sort of guesstimated because we don't know an exact time and a date for this, but the idolatry that that young man, Jonathan, introduced into the tribe of Dan stayed with them for somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 years. They never got away from it. David would become king of the land. Um, Solomon would become king of the land. There would be some others uh, like Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat that would do their best to rid uh, the land of of, uh, idolatry, but they never uh, completely and successfully rooted it out. Dan would become part of that northern nation of Israel. Uh, We need to be careful about the idols that we set up in our hearts. Um, Keep your place here. Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter number 5. If you are following the Bible reading uh, calendar for the year, um, you should have just finished reading 1 John uh, a day or so ago. Please look at the uh, very last verse of 1 John 5. Go ahead and read it with me. Ready? Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 
Does an idol have to be a statue? No. Uh, if you go in sometimes to an, uh, a Chinese restaurant or something like that, oftentimes you'll see right in the entryway uh, a little figurine of Buddha. How many have ever seen those? And sometimes there's a little bowl in front of it. There might be some coins in there. There might be some fruit. What that tells you is the people that own that, uh, they actually believe in Buddha. Those are offerings to Buddha. And we say that is a statue. That's, a, that's an idol. Uh, I would never have that in my house. Um, so we know that images and things like that, statues can be idols. Anything else that could be an idol? A cell phone. Could a cell phone be an idol? Um, it's amazing how much time we spend on those things, isn't it? Can you imagine if we spend as much time in our Bible as we spend looking at our phone, how spiritual we'd be? Um, I, I think I've mentioned this uh, in, in times gone by. A study was done that the average adult in America looks at a screen of some type. We're talking about a phone, uh, a tablet, a laptop, something like that. 185 times a day. We're checking our text messages, checking to see if we have email, checking to see how many people liked what we had for breakfast, you know, all, all those type of things, 185 times a day. Do we give the Bible that much time? Do we look at our Bible 185 times a day? Um, I, I'm gonna, I think, maybe answer for all of us and say, I think probably not. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong to check your phone, to check a text message or whatever, uh, but we got to be careful. We got to be careful about things like, what else could be an idol? Cars. Cars. I remember we had a, a, when I was a youth pastor in upstate New York, we had a young man named Harold um, and uh, big, big kid, big kid. He was in high school, very, very faithful, had a, had a real heart for God. He went to his public school with, with his Bible and gospel tracts um, and, and so forth. And then Harold turned 16. His dad helped him buy a car, and his car became his world. And it wasn't long he wasn't even coming to church anymore because everything was about his car, buying new parts for it, getting new paint jobs so he needed a job, and it was keeping him out of church. Is there anything wrong with a car? No, but when anything becomes more important to us than the Lord or the things of the Lord, uh, we have an idol, don't we? Uh, sometimes people can become idols. People can become idols. Uh, a young person gets a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, and uh, that person becomes more important to them than the Bible, than the Lord, than their relationship with God. So John is very wise in reminding us, little children, keep yourselves from idols. By the way, he's writing the believers there. Uh, all the way back now in the book of Judges, uh, chapter 18, uh, this idolatry was gonna persist until the captivity of the land. Verse 31 says... And they set them up Micah's graven image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So remember, Micah had the house of idols. His mama gave him that 200 shekels of silver uh, and they made an, an image of gold and so forth. They set that up and they're worshiping, worshiping it. But the Bible says that entire time that that generation was doing it, 
the tabernacle, the house of God, was in a place called Shiloh. Uh, that's where they set it up when Joshua and the people came into the land. It stayed there uh, until the days of uh, Samuel. When Samuel was a little boy, uh, the Philistines ransacked Shiloh and took away the Ark of the Covenant for a short period of time. Um, and it was never returned to Shiloh. So there was a place where they could worship the one true God, a place they were commanded to. But they got their own little house of idols. So they're without excuse. It's just, it's a whole lot easier doing it this way um, and, and so forth. But it, uh, notice um, again, verse 30. The children of Dan set up the graven image and Jonathan, the son of Gershon, the son of Manasseh, and he, his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. It didn't end up well for them. It ended up in, in utter tragedy. Keep your place here and turn a few pages over to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. And we're going to be in chapter 12. David and Solomon were kings over all, all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Then Solomon's son Rehoboam foolishly caused a civil war and the kingdom was divided. God appointed a man by the name of Jeroboam. He was a choice young man. He was a brave young man. And God made him to be king over the, the uh, northern kingdom. Um, and look, if you would please, in verse number, um, let's go to verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and, he, and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built, uh, built Penuel. Shechem became his capital city that would later be moved to a city called Samaria. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Now, who had made Jeroboam king? The Lord did. Did he have anything to worry about? No, he was doing what God called him to do. But his wheels start turning. He said, well, the temple, the house of the Lord's in Jerusalem, the one that Solomon built. Um, he said, if, if God's people from here go there to worship, they're going to miss the old days and uh, they're going to want to, they're going to reunify things and uh, they're going to kill me and everybody's going to go back to Rehoboam. Um, and uh, he's talking himself right out of the will of God, isn't he? Be careful, be careful about talking to yourselves, okay? Uh, be careful about that. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Where in the world in Israel's history did, did a golden calf come into play? Anybody remember? In the wilderness, can we be specific? The wilderness of sin, can we be more specific? It was at Mount Sinai. Remember, they had heard God, Exodus 19, speaking from the top of the mountain. Uh, his voice sounded like thunder, and God spoke the words of the Ten Commandments, the beginning of the law. 
And uh, the, all the people heard the voice of God. And then God called Moses up onto the mountain. How long was Moses up there? 40 days and 40 nights. And the people started worrying and they started talking to themselves. They said, here we are and Moses is gone and the mountain's still on fire and it's still thundering and we have no idea what happened to Moses. Now they'd already heard the voice of God and the first thing God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the second thing he said, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images. So they looked at Aaron, who was Moses' brother and said, up make us gods, which shall go before us for as for this Moses, we know not what has become of him. So they talked them right out of the, the will of God and uh, Aaron had them take their earrings off the sign of their slavery. And he claims that he just threw all that gold into the fire and this golden calf came walking out. Rebellion makes people stupid. Like he really thinks God was gonna believe that, uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, and but, so the golden calf goes way back. And uh, the golden calf goes further than that because the Egyptians worshipped calves and cattle. So this guy, Jeroboam's taken counsel. They make two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. I care too much about you. That's a, that's a long journey. That's going to be a rough journey. That's going to cost a lot of money. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Some think he's referring to the fact that their wagons would have been pulled by cattle. And, and uh, saying, you remember, they, they brought us up out of Egypt. Um, others uh, think that he's, uh, he's uh, referring to the golden calf at Mount Sinai. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in where? In Dan. Dan was already given over to idolatry. They had never stopped. And so one idol led to another. And these golden calves that, that Jeroboam created, if you read the rest of is, the northern kingdom of Israel's history, they never ever got away from it until Sennacherib wiped out that nation and took all of those people into captivity. Be careful of idolatry. Amen? One idol will in inevitably lead to another. Uh, we've got the Bible. We don't need to follow what we think. We just open the Bible and find out what God says. If we do that, we're going to be okay. Um, God gives us this little snippet to help us understand the, the uh, incomplete obedience and then the rampant disobedience uh, of God's people. Starting in chapter number 19, it's going to get darker yet with another uh, story from Israel's history at that time. Even though it says uh, 102 back there, my watch says 1046. So we're going to stop now.